Hello and welcome to Life and Inside Job, the podcast where we validate our internal worlds as sources of comfort, nourishment and creativity. My name is Kate and in no particular order I'm a writer, a mentor, a speaker, artist and facilitator. And you can find my book Second Spring, The Self-Care Guide to Menopause at most good bookshops. The other thing I love to do is have soulful, meandering conversations with people about how their inner lives nourish them. And this is what life and inside job is all about. If you're in the perimenopause or menopause zone, there's a wealth of resources on my website, which you can access for free. Just go to katecodrington.co.uk and to find out about all the latest stuff and events and what's going on in my life, you can pop over to Instagram where I'm Kate underscore Codrington. I work one-to-one with medicine circles and mentoring for people in menopause and with complementary therapists as well. You can find out all about that on my website and you can also join me for monthly yoga nidra sessions where you can co-create the nidra and drop into the seasons in the earth and in your body. This is also known as having a bloody good rest. This episode marks the beginning of a series of podcasts that focus on neurodiversity. For A long time I've spoken about perimenopause and menopause as the beginning of a heightened sensitivity for the senses, for emotions and being just more affected by both external and internal stimuli. Then last year I started to pick up that loads of people, loads of women and non-binary people were getting diagnoses of ADHD and or autism. In their midlife, it seemed that perimenopause was worsening their symptoms. And I started to wonder if I'd been really missing something and maybe being even unhelpful in speaking about sensitivity in broad terms and just totally missing the neurodiversity that was all around me. As I started to investigate, I found that there was a huge amount to say about this and too much for one episode. And this is spun into a number of episodes which will be coming up over the late summer and autumn. There will be one similar to this sharing autistic experiences and a few episodes with neurodiverse guests who had way more to say than you could fit into the short time that we had in these compilation voice podcasts. I felt it was best to let people speak to their own experience and let these voices be heard in all their diversity and brilliance. Approximately 5% of people are estimated to have ADHD in the UK, many of which will still be undiagnosed. But there are particular challenges faced by women and non-binary people with ADHD. That's Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder to give it its full name. And if you think about ADHD, most people will imagine a primary school aged boy charging around with bags of energy. But women and non-binary people will have slightly different issues, will present differently, be easily distracted, 
Maybe trouble with executive functioning like time management, planning, memory. And may well either withdraw into their inner world and be seen as sort of ditzy and it can be seen as a character trait rather than a neurodiversity. Or on the other hand, be super talkative and have very, like uh, people would describe as a character trait, would be thin skin or very strong, exaggerated emotional responses to things. And yeah, with the judgment that they often receive for that. Girls and women with ADHD often mask their difficulties way more effectively than their male counterparts because of the conditioning that women uh, undergo and can also compensate consciously or unconsciously by hyper-focusing and getting completely lost in the task in hand. And all this masking and hyper-focusing and the managing of these symptoms is very hard work. It's exhausting to mask and try to keep up with the demands of a neurotypical world while managing these very strong feelings that are emerging. And this feeling of difference and the feeling of being out of step with the neurotypical world can pervade a lifetime and strongly negatively affect mental health and self-esteem. Another way of describing the condition is like having a race car brain with bicycle steering. It's a very vibrant image that we can all understand. And at perimenopause, when our hormones shift and our energy drops and stress is likely to increase, this can be a much more difficult experience with ADHD with their symptoms worsening. Luckily, there's lots you can do to support yourself or your friends with ADHD, and it's definitely treatable, as you'll hear. And there are loads of resources in the notes for you to find out more. But first, let's get into what life an inside job does best of all, and we can listen to people's lived experience. You're going to hear three different voices, three different experiences of living with ADHD through perimenopause. And then the podcast is closed with an overview from Abby Denier Buick. Abby is an integrated health practitioner who specialises in cyclical living and also has ADHD. The first voice that you're going to hear from is Victoria Gazard. She's in Bristol, UK, and she specialises in fertility and provides emotional support and effective nurturing therapies as well as practical advice and coaching to help her clients through challenging times. What word or words do you prefer to use to describe your neurodiversity? So I, I would describe ADHD as pure chaos, pure and utter chaos and um, just full of contradictions. So, you know, you absolutely need order in your life, but you cannot create it. Um, you need kind of straight organized home but you are just so messy and disorganized and so what you need in order to function is at the complete opposite ends or just pulls apart 
from what you can actually give yourself. Um, so, and that, and that, that there's the chaos. There lies the chaos in in what you need to function as an absolute need and a, an essential, but you cannot provide that for yourself. Um, it, it's like an inability to stick to routines and an ability to think straight. Um, you're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants constantly from one thing to, to another. Um, and it's really hard to, to just bring yourself back <laughs> and give space. I was listening to one of your podcasts actually the other day and that was all about rest, all about space. And I was like, yeah, wow, this is amazing. Oh, if only I could do those things, you know, just creating space from finishing work to then moving on to something else and allowing that time, that transition, like transition times are so important. But we're just like whizzing around like, you know, crazy drunk wasps. So or, or that's what, you know, what it feels in my experience. Um, and so you know how good that that quiet time, that transition time, that slowness, um, the being purposeful in in what you're doing, how you really, really need that. But it's so hard to, to you know, to be able to slow down enough to do that. Um, and also the thing that I find really, really deeply sad about it is that because you are kind of whizzing and your brain is just so full of thoughts and ideas and you're like processing so much information at once um, that the, the ability to kind of remember and to revel in in moment so being you know that real mindfulness and capturing um, special moments in your life um, it's really sad to think how many you've kind of not really kind of locked in, in into memory or into, um, yeah, to notice. You have to make a really conscious effort to to kind of you know do all your gratitude and, and, and your your remembering and um, yeah. And how has your ADHD changed in perimenopause? So I was diagnosed post-menopausal, so I went into early menopause at 36. Um, so I just, I think my youngest was about two years old. So I'd literally flown out from that kind of postnatal time where my ADHD symptoms, what I know now were quite severe ADHD symptoms um, due to all the hormonal um, implications and also kind of really heightened stress um, and I it I really feel like that that did contribute to an early menopause because I was in such chronic state of overwhelm trying to manage and juggle everything um, so 
it felt like I just slammed straight into early menopause. So I noticed kind of three cycles where my bleeds were really odd um, in terms of colour and what they looked like. And I had like for the first time, like panic attacks, really chronic anxiety where I couldn't leave the house. Um, I remember I like needed to just get some milk and I just couldn't couldn't get in the car and um, buy any milk. Um, just hot sweats, I couldn't sleep at all, complete insomnia. Um, so I just, it's like all of a sudden, it was just absolutely um, horrendous. Complete rage, like I'd never experienced before, like complete emotional dysregulation. Um, which was really scary actually because I was literally feel like my whole body <laughs> would could just explode um yeah so that it was it was incredibly incredibly intense and severe um and that went on for quite a while um it got better with the, the different things that I was like because I absolutely had to say right and self-care is like I have to include, you know, time alone, um, time away, um, eating well, herbs, massage, you know, everything, everything I can get my hands on, hypnotherapy. Um, but it just wasn't helping with um, insomnia. It wasn't helping with like that, the panic attacks. Um, and because my children were really young, they were two and four, what really, really upset me was how I could flip so quickly into rage. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the trauma lies, actually, and kind of feeling like such a bad parent during that time, um, because I would get really angry. So I would, you know, like shout a lot more than than I would because I just did like my patience but it was like it would just come out of nowhere so one minute it would be okay and then I'd be pushed and then I would be gone um so yeah since taking the kind of hormone supplements so HRT that that was just like um overnight it's quite interesting actually because I wonder if this relates to ADHD because the person the consultant that prescribed it said they shouldn't have had such an immediate effect on me they should have kind of built up and then started to have had a an impact but it was literally the next day of taking the estrogen that I just felt so much better and whether that's because I'm quite sensitive when I take things or actually what I'm understanding now about the role of estrogen on cognitive function and ADHD, it, it makes sense that like a boost of estrogen is going to kind of, you know, really help pull me out of the, the brain fog and, and make me feel a lot better, more energy. Um, so now, in terms of the ADHD and menopause, 
it's still really poor cognitive function, um, which I find, you know, I, I oh, I'm menopausal and try and laugh about it, but sometimes it is quite worrying. So if I'm working within the evening and I've seen a few clients in the day and then, you know, if it's my last client of the evening and then I might just like find word retrieval quite difficult or I might forget what I'm saying mid-sentence, um, which can be quite embarrassing because you don't want them to think, you know, um, you want your clients or whoever you work with to, to think that you're kind of on the ball, don't you? Um, but yeah, I do explain that I um, am menopausal. I feel more comfortable, interestingly, saying that than, oh, I have ADHD. Um, but I'm trying to talk more and more openly about it in order to raise awareness, you know, for my own girls. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's the cognitive, the cognitive function and, and also, yeah, the emotional dysregulation, which when with ADHD is, is, you know, is a huge part of, of your symptoms. And then when you go into menopause, that's obviously compromised. So you, you get a double whammy there with, with what you're, um, trying to cope with and trying to manage. And what sort of things make it harder for you to function, do you think? Um, uh, disorder, disorder, <laughs> disorder, chaos, um, mess, which when you live in a family home it's really difficult with young children especially when you're not able to you know uh, organize it yourself and don't enjoy that either because because um you know one of the other things about adhd is we just hate boredom and hate anything that's the same so to just go around all day every day tidying up is just you could just murder somebody because that, that is just the worst thing because you just want fun excitement something different um so yeah and then also kind of like having to say the same thing can you put your shoes away can you put your it's just, you know that's really going to drive anybody up the wall but particularly anyone with ADHD um so yeah chaos disorganization um make it so here we go so what was the question was it what's going to make it worse mm. um not enough sleep for sure sleep like that would be number one um Al like alcohol, um, caffeine, um, just being like somewhere like a supermarket. I never knew until I was diagnosed why, like in any shop, I'll walk into this kind of super and, and I've just, my brain, I cannot 
I cannot organize my brain it just goes to mush and I'm just like all over the place and I just like there's just so much stuff everywhere and I can't think what I need and and it's just and I never knew why it was just bizarre um so places like that where there's lots of stimulation and then like ongoing stimulation so if it's you know if it goes on for too too long too many hours um so yeah so being amongst people for a certain amount of time is okay but then you have to go home and recover and what helps what helps you to feel good and to feel calmer in yourself hiding being alone um yeah being alone and hiding um yeah because then then you don't have all these kind of competing demands um things you should or shouldn't be doing that are involving others um and I know that's a real menopause state of bit because when I went to all I wanted to do was just run away and just live in a cave and just hide from everyone um and that, and that was so strong within me and yeah I can I can see how like if I'm on my own it's quiet which is why I just love my therapy room so much it's quiet it's organized it's calm there's not much stuff in there it's just like oh my little sanctuary and then yeah and then you come back to family life and it's just chaos so yeah which is lovely it's a lovely chaos but it's also yeah it it's really hard yeah really hard um yeah and what do you wish people knew about ADHD and midlife? What, what would you like to, if you could have a megaphone to broadcast to the nation, what do you think people should know? I would say, well, I mean, it's just not specific to, to midlife. It's all, you know, all the time is that you absolutely have to prioritise self-care. Like that, that is the first thing, because if you're like in over you know feeling overwhelmed or like prone to getting in, in a state of chronic overwhelm if you're prone to emotional dysregulation and mood fluctuations then self-care like has to be your number one priority because it affects every aspect of your life from how you can feel about work to whether you have any capacity for work for um, like holding your children or if we're talking about midlife that there could be the children there could be the grand you know that your older um, family members um, and and midlife is kind of as well a time where there's just so much going on you're at that time where you feel like you should be able to be doing everything you should be able to be working and mothering and you know keeping the house lovely and exercise and doing all these things um but actually if you have adhd and you're in mid 
life and your executive functions are having an impact and your nervous system is just on such alert and feeling very ragged then like the self-care has to be prioritized and the the time away has to be prioritized and and the lowering of expectations always of what like you know and and this relates to you know all women and ADHD women but what comparing yourself to a kind of a neurotypical person who doesn't have such severe um like challenges you just you just have to drop that you just have to learn to, to, to try and drop that because you just will end up kind of probably having and I can see it like having a complete nervous breakdown trying to just trying to compete and and succeed in that way and I do wonder how many women get to midlife having nervous breakdowns who are actually kind of like neurodiverse and aren't you know aren't aware of it because they have had had that their whole lives of, of trying to trying to cope trying to manage trying to mask trying to uh, try, just trying to get get by with these difficulties and challenges and, and, and differences and different way of viewing the world and and also as we were talking about earlier that the the sensitivities to light sound noise energies um just the environment um yeah in a kind of society and world that's not really made made for them. Can you say a bit about masking and how that's shown up for you? Oh, <laughs> oh I, don't, I don't even know where to begin with that because I'm in a process now of complete um, breaking down of as a person to try and figure all all this out really um the simplest um yeah i read something on it in one of the books and it was about kind of hiding and so that was that would probably be kind of the biggest um demonstration of my masking really i would have this is me i'm okay to present to the world as i am when i'm not like this i hide i hide from everyone um and that and, and like coming to terms with the impact of hiding because it, it, there's a small percentage of time where i feel like i can like feel really good about myself and feel like I can do things and feeling positive and, and just feeling good that the majority of the time is in hiding and, and how much that has impacted as well on like relationships and so just not wanting to get too close to people because oh my god what if they see this other side of me that that is my ADHD is the the chaos the you know, ang 
the anger that you know that the not so night the qualities that have been shamed um a lot that are not okay to express and be so the mask is oh i'm okay i'm feeling good i'm having a good day okay now i can come out now you can see me Now we're going to hear from Francine Ford and Francine is a craniosacral therapist who specialises in neurodiversity and lives in London. So what what words or word do you use to define your neurodiversity? The first one that popped to mind was complicated. It's been a really complicated journey and I don't know if it's becoming any less complicated as I unpick it, because there's always other things that pop in and I'm like, oh, that's what that was when I was 25. Mm. So yeah, complicated, I think. (sighs) Yeah, and I think sad in a lot of ways without sounding doom and gloom because I'm not about it, but there's moments because I wasn't diagnosed until last year when I was 51 with ADHD and I now know that I'm ASD even though I've not had a formal diagnosis and I don't think I'm going to pursue a formal diagnosis for that um and for years I had been saying there's something up there's something up and I always put it down to oh I process things in a different way but both of my kids are neurodivergent um yeah so that makes me quite sad because I look at you know relationships that perhaps could have gone on or any that's romantic relationships and friendships so that's where the sadness comes in there's certain decisions I probably would have made differently in my parenting um without beating myself up but you do kind of go back and think oh how has this impacted my life and that's where it gets quite complicated because then you you do you just start to look at your life through a completely different lens without you know you don't want to go back and be oh boo-hoo how horrible it's been but it does you can't help but to look back retrospectively and just say if I would have known if I would have known I would have done this different or I might have finished that degree or I might have gone for that job so yeah it just it feels very complicated a lot of the time and a year later after diagnosis like I said, it still feels equally as complicated. So, hmm. it's an odd one. And I've just discovered that I'm, um, I've got like synesthesia as well, mirror touch synesthesia. So that's added a whole other, it's brought a load of clarity because for me to do what I do as a cranial sacral therapist, I've never understood why I can feel things in people's bodies and then kind of unraveling this layer as well that's like oh it's fascinating but then it equally is complicated so that's the word that just keeps coming up over and over yeah and has your neurodiversity changed in perimenopause if Mm. it has then Mm. how very much yeah very much so because I like I said I always knew even as a a child going through school I always knew 
things just weren't making sense in a lot of ways. I had a very different perspective on the world. And I've always been told, um, as a child, I was always told I was really sensitive. And I can remember having these huge, like crying outbursts, probably, probably eight, nine, 10 years old when I'd be out playing with my friends. Um, and then I'd get, get, you know, made fun of for having these huge crying outbursts and things like that. And I never understood it. And I was always told I was just being a drama queen and making too much of things. And then I really started to mask things in my teenage years, because obviously you can't walk around high school just having these crying outbursts for no reason, just because something doesn't make sense. And I masked so well all through my 20s, uh, when I had my children, through my marriage, that you kind of convince yourself there's nothing wrong because the, the masks are so good that you just think, no, no, I'm good. And then you, for me anyways, I buried myself in motherhood um, and I was raising one child who was very obviously neurodiverse. So that took up a lot of time. And it was that keeping busy that you don't put the spotlight on yourself. Um, and then I went into this early menopause and I can remember being out for a dog walk in a woods that I walk in every day and had done for probably 10 years and I couldn't find my way out. And I remember standing in the middle of these woods, just going around and around thinking, I don't know how to find the road. And like, I live in London, I wasn't in Epping Forest. I was on Tooting Beck Common, just thinking, why can't I find my way out? And it, it really panicked me. And this is about five years probably before I realized I was perimenopausal. And little things like that started to happen more and more. As soon as the, as soon as the estrogen started to drop, and now I know that that, you know, the correlation there between how your dopamine works, it creates a lot of new issues. And if you are undiagnosed as ADHD, it can really heighten your symptoms, which I understand now, but at the time it was terrifying. And I can remember saying to a friend, like, I think something is really wrong because I kept getting lost in areas that I knew, couldn't remember anything. And it really started to affect my work. I was a, an agent at the time. And as, as an agent, you hold a lot in your head. You might have a great database, but a lot of the stuff is in your head and you can like recall it at any time. And I was really struggling. And then I realized that something was wrong, went to the doctor, got treated for depression, which made it even worse because the pills they put me on made it so much worse. But then my daughter was diagnosed at the age of 25 with ADHD. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And a couple of years later, <laughs> I said to her, I think I might go and look about getting diagnosed. And she was like, oh, for God's sake, mom. She's like, I thought, I just thought you hadn't got a diagnosis because you're so bloody woo-woo and you were just like gonna woo-woo your way through it. <laughs> she was like, of course you've got ADHD. <laughs> And it really was that impact of the hormones changing that just heightened everything so much. I just couldn't ignore it any longer. The masks had come off. Obviously, I wasn't as hands-on with my kids at that age because they were in their 20s. But it was kind of this culmination of messy hormones, different job. And it, yeah, it, I just could not ignore it anymore. And it was kind of a no brainer when I saw the psychiatrist. He was like, oh God, yeah, it's really clear you've got ADHD and you have, you've had it all your life. But it was, it was that drop in the estrogen that really, really heightened everything so much that at some point I thought I was losing my mind. So it, um, and that's, 
that it's such a profound on a cellular level it's such a profound thing that you go through when that happens and it's terrifying and then when you finally hear that okay yes you are in you know a perimenopausal state even though I went in early I had a, a my GP was great so she actually really listens to me because I know a lot of women in their late 30s early 40s aren't listened to when they go about possible perimenopausal symptoms and then again I just I struck it lucky with the support team that I had for my ADHD um, who also recognized that oh yeah your symptoms have gotten so much worse because you've been in early menopause for five years so I know a lot of women don't have that experience I was fortunate enough that I did and whew, thank god that helped what sort of things make it harder for you to function? Uh, what do you mean with the, the perimenopause kind of thing? I think it was the, um, it was just like my energy just shifted so significantly where I was just really tired all of a sudden. And I know not everyone struggles with that, but for me, it was a real, I really noticed my energy levels dipping. And then that brought on just a lot of uh, like brain fog and like my body just hurt. Like it was literally like somebody had turned off this switch of vitality because everything hurt. My knees all of a sudden felt arthritic. My fingers felt arthritic. Um, and what it did to me cognitively was it just made everything more difficult. I've I've never been a strong reader. I was at a very young age. I remember at school, I loved reading. And that kind of diminished as I got older. But once my hormones started to change, that was it. I can't remember from one page to the next now. That's gotten so much worse. And where I've now come through the other side of menopause, that hasn't improved. So it's things like that, the like cognition, my working memory got so much worse. Um, I think my sleep got a lot worse as well. I've always been an okay sleeper I've always felt fine but now I really notice that you know, I can sleep for 12 hours wake up and still feel like I need a nap three hours later and I, that's really since this significant hormone shift mm. um, what yeah. sorts of things help you to feel good help to improve your ADHD symptoms um at the moment being outside being out in nature I'm lucky I live in a part of London surrounded by trees and green and common. Uh, I love just being outdoors and I don't get to do it enough because I work full-time in a school during the week. Plus I'm trying to rebuild my own uh, cranial sacral practice after the shit show of COVID. So I'm, I'm juggling a lot at the moment, but when I can get out, just to walk, especially in the rain. There's something really peaceful about being in London with your dog in the pouring rain because it turns out people only walk their dogs when it's nice. So we have the streets to ourselves, <laughs> it's great. And I absolutely love it. As soon as I see the rain, I'm like, right, we're going. Quick, get your coat. So that is probably my biggest thing is just to be outdoors, just to be somewhere, you know, where the air just hits you, the breeze, the wind, it just, like gets in your hair and kind of mixes things up on an energetic level. If I don't go outside, then just a really long hot bath with a podcast, lots of Epsom salts, candles, 
just wherever you can steal those moments of just being on your own. I'm lucky because I'm single, so I can choose to be on my own quite often. Um, but that's, I think, the most important thing I would say to women with ADHD, particularly if you are late diagnosis and you're still really trying to navigate your way through it, steal those moments away. And I'm, I'm not going to say, oh, meditate, because that's impossible for some of us with ADHD. I love meditating on the days I can actually do it. On the other days, I want to cry. Uh, so on those days, I might just listen to some music with my eyes closed and just try to breathe through it. But yeah, just stealing away those moments where I can be completely on my own. That really, really helps because there's something that I think with an ADHD brain, like it never stops. And I see it with a lot of my clients as well. A lot of women say, like, I just want, I just want my brain to be quiet for a while. I just say, listen, find what works. For a lot of us, it really is just being outdoors. There's something about just being around trees. If you're, you know, near water, just putting your feet on the ground. Um, yeah, it's it's magical. It really is. And what do you wish people knew about neurodiversity in midlife? What would you like to, this is your place to mm. broadcast? Well, it's funny because I've been in a day job in an office in a school for three and a half years. So they knew me before my formal diagnosis. And I think they probably just thought I was as scatty as hell. And I interrupted a lot and I couldn't sit through any meeting without jiggling a lot. After diagnosis, I've been really honest with them. I have no problem with telling people I will never hide my neurodiversity. I don't feel it's anything to be ashamed of. I am not broken. My brain literally sees the world in a different way. And I wish people understood that because there's this real, with the bigger conversations that, that's happening because more and more women are speaking up. So of course it seems like it's very trendy at the moment and everyone's jumping on that bandwagon of ADHD, ASD. No, it's just, we're now talking and we're now demanding the rights to be heard. Um, I want people to see that it's a really significant impairment for a lot of women. It's, um, you know, I, I have people who are very close to me who have had full on breakdowns because their ADHD hasn't been supported. You get a magic pill in some cases, and that is it. And unless you are in a financial position where you can pay in London 80 to 150 pounds an hour for talking support or coaching, you're kind of left on your own. And I wish people really understood that when you have gone through vast majority of your life, in my case, 51 years of masking and seeing the world through a very neurotypical lens to all of a sudden, for me, it was a very freeing diagnosis because it made me realize that I hadn't been making things up all my life. And I, I wish people understood the impact of that and understood that like a lot of us desperately want the support. We don't want to be, you know, struggling in the way that we struggle and we all struggle so differently you know I'm never late for anything ever whereas my daughter is late for everything she was late for her own birth for god's sake I mean this girl is late for everything at 29 years old I'm the opposite I'm on time for everything I never miss appointments I don't miss deadlines I wish people understood that it is so different for everyone and just to listen to what we are telling them what our lived experience is don't go by what you think you know 
listen to what people are actually telling you. This is how it impacts me. And for me to go back into the workplace and say to my colleagues and my team, this is how I view my ADHD. And this is where I want you to be aware because some days I'm going to struggle and I have struggled, but I've never let you see me struggle. So I wish people just really understand that it's, it can be a huge impact for women to all of a sudden get this diagnosis because your whole life just starts to rewind. And I think there's a real grieving phase for a lot of us. I don't know any woman who's been diagnosed later in life who hasn't felt grief over it. And that's okay. And you need people around you to understand that there's gonna be days that you feel really shitty about it because you can't help but second guess the decisions that you've made or mistakes, so-called mistakes that you've made. So, um, yeah, I just, I, like I, said, I just wish people understood that it's a very real issue. And just because we've managed to get through to our 40s and 50s, seemingly okay, people don't understand how exhausting it is and how that impacts your life. You know, I, I can work a, a full-time job. That is it. I come home and I'm in bed at eight o'clock every night, 8.30 every night. And people don't believe me. And I'm like, I can't do it all. I can't, I've not yet managed to balance it out. Um, so yeah, people, I just want there to be a bigger understanding that it's not just about fidgeting too much and being late for things. It can be really, really debilitating in some time, some periods of our life, particularly if you're then also going through menopause. It's like a double whammy and it is so difficult to get through your days. And I feel for any woman trying to navigate it and not telling people around them what is actually going on because a lot of people don't feel safe enough to do that. And now we're gonna hear from Leora Leboff. And Leora is a menstrual and menopause mentor currently writing a book on cycle awareness to support chronic health challenges, which personally I cannot wait to read. What word or words do you prefer to use to define your neurodiversity? Uh, as, as all the labels that are available, um, I guess the ADHD would be most suitable, but the more I read about your neurodiversity and come to understand more who knows who knows if it dips into the the wider autism field and has your neurodiversity changed in perimenopause and if so how yes um, and there's no way of knowing whether everything has become more intense in perimenopause or whether it's because in perimenopause we're called to look deeper. Um, so is, is, that, is that a fact that, we're, that, that I'm looking deeper into myself, that I am much quicker at seeing the bullshit, um, seeing with more clarity and have having acknowledging my lack of filter which would which is a huge aspect I guess of um, 
of my own brand of, of neurodiversity. So there, there is way more intensity to, I'd say, to the neurodiverse responses, um, particularly the high sensitivities. Um, so before exploring this, this world, uh, there was that slapped on self-label of high sensitive person. Um, so it seems to fit really kind of perfectly with, with an ADHD profile. Um, and could it be as simple as that? <laughs> that? That this high sensitive person is, is comes under another, that, that, that there is actually something going on in, in the brain, in the nervous system um, that is the cause for these very, very, very strong responses to each of my senses. So in, in perimenopause, um, light, uh, sound, touch, all of those are, you know, just dip so, no, not dip, are throw me deeply into um, a state of high sensitivity. I cannot stand certain aspects of what my senses take in. Taste and smell to a certain extent, but, but it's definitely what I'm seeing, what I'm listening to, and certainly what I'm touching, touch it, what touches me. Um, clothes and human human touch at just the wrong moment and yeah the um the the senses are on fire at times so yeah it, it's the the seeing through the seeing everything with more clarity and um the filter drops away, so speaking truth, which which is that that superpower of perimenopause. But I just wonder how much more it, it's driven by this different way that the brain's working. You know. And what sort of things make it harder for you to function? <laughs> that, that, that's a tough one to answer because it, the, there's, there are challenges. There are challenges 24 hours a day, really. <laughs> so a lifetime of insomnia. Um, so that, 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 with the awareness of maybe that playing into it. Um, the, 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 so that, yeah, okay. So there's, there's the, the daily challenge there's a daily challenge of being in a head that um, is, finds it difficult, <laughs> as by the conversation, that finds it difficult to stay in one place. Um, that, um, 
gets caught up in a in a um, uh, gets caught up in a conversation in a conversation of shame um, when there are challenges or when there's a hyper focus. So when there's exuberance too much, the yeah, the, the everything that hyper focus brings that, that there's there's big that you big that you, you I label myself as too much. Um, but I think what's hardest is. I had when I was first exploring when that when I first became aware that that this was something that I should be exploring with with some um, with a reality. Uh, somebody said to me um, in what I perceived, no idea if it was to be delivered in in was meant to be delivered in this way, but I perceived was was. Delivered in a way that that was irritated, that, that was slightly irritated, um, and I was asked if being told that, or hearing, or working out that ADHD was a thing, was it a badge of honour? And it was really hard to hear that, and and I've unpacked that over over the time and. Because it also it, it, it felt slightly scornful, um, but I unpacked it to a point. Well, if hearing about if, if this if this awareness of having ADHD is actually a bit, is a portal to relief and self acceptance and self compassion and understanding, then hell yeah, it's a badge of honour. So what makes it difficult are perceptions and having lived a, a lifetime of um, feelings that I don't belong anywhere, which now makes 100% perfect sense. Hearing other people deliver their, their response to what ADHD means, or what being given a label of ADHD in a scornful way or an irritated way, um, just perpetuates the that feeling of, of shame and not belonging. So, uh, so it, it's what's uh, what's what's challenging is because this is all fairly new to me, is making baby steps in a world where there's a lack of understanding. Um, when, when I first started looking into this and I looked at an ADHD website, there was something that hit me, that it kind of hit me in the gut as somebody who works really hard to... to um, break taboos to break down shame to be to to stand in our in our in our own um, authority and power mm. the website suggested that 
you choose very carefully who you share this information with because it because of the way it can be received and it and this was before I had that experience um, but I get it I, you know I, I, I partly want to say you know that be maybe wait wait before you share the information that, that you, you're feeling secure enough in, in, in yourself. And that's how I feel about, you know, I, I haven't spoken, I haven't spoken about this on social media and I haven't, I have, I have carefully chosen who, I, who I've shared um, this information with. Because it, it being met with scorn or a lack of understanding what this is because of preconceived ideas of what's out there and, you know, ADHD is just little boys who, who run around causing havoc in the classroom. Um, is it just adds to a lifetime of shame? So, for what's challenging is knowing when when you live a life of not having a great filter, <laughs> bringing in the discernment of when to be sharing this aspect of of myself I would say is a is a challenge because even though it is great having the conversation out there so much more and so many more women adult women um, realizing that that adult women and girls present in a completely different way to to boys and maybe adult men. Um, the challenge being that lack of understanding of um, that it's different for women or it's different for the female brain. And what helps you to feel good? What sort of things? Generally, daily or within the scope of start with daily um what helps me feel good is is tapping into what gives me pleasure uh, what is it that can can connect me to something that can, can that can allow me as a whole person to connect with something that isn't a, a, in constant movement. So um, constant internal movement, that, that, that's quite hard to describe, I guess. It feels as though there's something constantly going on within me, whether it's thoughts, whether it's um, sometimes feeling as though every, being aware of every cell in my body moving. So if I can walk, in nature, walking in nature, without a doubt, is what is most helpful. Because I could, there's all sorts of things that I could say I, I, I do, but actually when it comes down to it, when I can be surrounded by green, or when I can be surrounded by mulch, when I can be surrounded by um, all aspects of... of <laughs> the seasons offer us then 
that. That allows me to still a bit, actually. Yeah, I think it, that, that really allows me to come to some, uh, some aspect of stillness, which doesn't happen much of the time. And in general, is there something else that you want to add to that? What makes you, the general things that make it, make you feel good, make it easier to function in this world? Um, generally, so <laughs> having, having lived a life of, of being, I think when I've thought about this, sh shame comes up a huge amount. So having lived, a, having realizing that I, that I have lived a life of feeling pretty shameful when in social situations where can't just can't tap into small talk have no idea how to i can fake it sometimes but there's you know there's it, it doesn't it's not there and um what generally gives me pleasure is being able to balance being around people who there's no need for small talk, <laughs> there's no need to ever go there. Um, and, and that, you know, that can be in a room of people that I don't know, where small talk just isn't, isn't necessary. Um, with, with peace and silence, and that will take me back to nature. Mm. So where, being, being around people who are interested in the world around them gives me, I find, hugely And What do you wish people knew about neurodiversity in midlife and ADHD and menopause and all this stuff? Um... The what <laughs> the reality of it that with a complete and hundred percent acknowledgement and awareness that being on the receiving end or being in a space with someone with ADHD is irritating. Can be no, not is can be irritating. I. And that all comes back to the, the shame of, um, of of how I've lived. It's like you know, walking away from a from a social situation, um, or uh, back in the day where there were when I go to meetings in, in um, when I worked in another world um, that. that what galvanizes this neurodiverse brain within me can be irritating and there's an acknowledgement there's a, an absolute acknowledgement of that that not reading the room oversharing, easily distracted there may be constant movement i'm a 
I'm a hair fiddler. <laughs> um, the, and even the, the opposite side of it, that, that you can be very exuberant, um, but then in the next minute want to shut down because of the overwhelm. So there's all those challenging aspects to it that I guess I'd like people to know that we're aware. <laughs> Sometimes it may come over as being not very self-aware, um, but we're aware. I, I won't talk for anyone else that I'm aware, <laughs> that I'm aware of how hard that can be and, um, and what that means. And the, 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 side, the side of living in this way. Um, means that there, that there are going to be the, the quieter moments of shame, of paranoia, of, of those endless feelings of not belonging. Um, and even be, you know, not the quieter moments of not belonging in my own body sometimes in, in certain, um, at certain times. So I would like people to know that what they might find challenging is, is, not, um, is not steeped in somebody who is lacking awareness. That person, that, 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 that maybe an over-exuberance is, is a result of passion, um, is a result of um, wanting to, is it not, not being, not finding the small talk easy, is actually wanting to, the, the, the richness of conversation you can have with someone, or the richness of conversation you could have, you could have with me if you wanted to, <laughs> Um, who, you know, I may not ask in a social situation, I may not ask quite the right questions, but we'll get there. Well, <laughs> I may not comment on, I, I may not comment on uh, a new haircut. I'll, I'll, know, I'll sit in my head and not know to, to say, oh, I love your hair. Um, but we could have some really, really good, juicy conversations that all of this has brought about uh, an, an elevated aspect of self-compassion. And because it's been a lifetime of struggles in my head and struggles in my body, um, that having the awareness that this is a thing has, has been a massive relief and has elevated self-compassion too. Doesn't, doesn't stop the shame creeping in there, doesn't stop all those niggly bits, but it's, it's easier, <laughs> it's, it's kinder, and um, it's stripped away a huge amount of shame. To close the podcast, I asked Abby Dania Buick for an overview of the situation 
Abby has ADHD, is an integrated health practitioner who specialises in cyclical living. So Abby, what are the challenges that you're seeing in people with ADHD at perimenopause? I think the biggest challenges that I'm seeing is the sort of the unravelling of, of identity that you know we know is a part of menopause. Um, but it has this sort of extra it has this extra layer that's I think comes from the aspect of, of masking um, of of how we've been conditioned to show up in the world, how we needed to show up in the world to survive, um, and the the harder it is to maintain um, those those masks, the more energy it's taking. Whilst there's these hormonal shifts and things are um, things are coming, life as we know it is coming undone. Um, then. Yeah, there's this whole other layer of, of meeting the ways in which we can't pretend to, to sort of function anymore. And, and I, I think that's, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a link there with how many uh, female people are being uh, diagnosed at this kind of age and and at this time is is that the the masks that come off through the natural process of menopause uh, are also taking off the masks that uh, serve us to function in a neurotypically uh, functioning world. <laughs> so yeah, that that's I think that's one of the biggest challenges and that just sense of the ground kind of falling away. From, from under people and just going right I don't know if I'm not that <laughs> then I don't know I don't know who I am um, and and I think the other side of of challenges is you know when people are um, not sure if they want to pursue a diagnosis or you know there's been sort of suggestions but you know so there's also that aspect of not knowing or getting new information and and grief, I think grief is a huge um, challenge uh, at, at, at this time. And again, like it's there anyway. And then it has another um, another sort of like another chamber of, of grief to to uh, travel through somehow. And what do you think helps? What do you see supporting people at this time? I think, um, and I know lots of people speak about this, uh, you know, self-care practices really turning towards what, uh, what's needed, you know, what's needed in terms of your physical, mental, emotional health, whether it's um, kind of diet, rest, uh, professional support, um, yeah that that the way in which that becomes very sort of non-negotiable um and i think you know, that's very specific to, to to menopause but i i think in in relation to adhd it's 
like I think the biggest thing is kind of allyship and community and just actually knowing that there's nothing wrong <laughs> with you I, th I think that's like the biggest thing is, is that sort of permission giving for um functioning in a way that you know what how why why is one particular way of brains working favored in the world you know because it supports productivity and because it supports you know capitalist structures and all the rest of it and and it takes uh it takes a boldness and a courage to say i'm not going to be a part of that because obviously we all still have bills to pay and we do still function within those those systems so i think that the sense of uh you know community coming together um activism i i think taking it up as a cause is is something that that can help and just you know challenging these the way these systems don't support anything left of center in in any way um i think is a really big uh help um and reading and understanding you know we have so much more access to you know like podcasts like this you know talking about people's lived experience of as we understand more about neurodivergence and as we understand more about menopause and perimenopause um that yeah there's just not the the aloneness and isolation that that there used to be of like oh i'm having that experience and you know understanding a little bit about um you know hormones and neurotransmitters and and you know all of that i think in being armed with some some information about what's what's kind of going on um and working with yeah working with people if you ha have access to you know friends or professionals um who who understand the uh the sort of interrelatedness of um yeah what's going on at, at this time of life uh, and uh, neurodivergent brains um and structural systems of, of oppression and you know it's like looking at a whole the whole picture so it becomes much less um much less personal in, in some way i think that's really of value And what do you think well-being and health professionals should know in order to support people with ADHD? Yeah, I guess I guess it's kind of that last point really around um, it's the importance of not looking at anything in in isolation. It, it you know it is the sort of the the overlappingness of um, which. You know, Western medicine doesn't doesn't do brilliantly at, but from a more kind of functional medicine perspective, where you're looking at, okay, there's this fed into this and this. I I think that's that's really, um, so you're not just looking at somebody's menopause and and hormone changes. You're looking at how that intersects with their, um, with their, with their culture, with their class, with their with their neurodivergence. So I, I think it's yeah being able to look at the really 
uh, big picture and the interweaving of uh, of all of the uh, yeah contributing f factors to this sort of weave of um, you know how where somebody finds themselves in in their lives. I think that that feels really essential because I think without that. Yeah, without that, it's, it's kind of plaster sticking effect. So um, I think being, you know, and that's not to say that every every health professional needs to be an expert in, you know, all, all of these areas. But it, it's kind of, yeah, again, leaning into leaning into each other, knowing where to refer somebody, but and, and also taking responsibility for some um, educating on on the the overlaps. And I know that you know we're in very early stages of, uh, of of research and that there isn't an awful lot of, of research um at, at the moment but uh i i think it i think it's going to come and uh and there'll be some yeah some some uh, yeah i mean anecdotally there's just you know, i see so many people with with these struggles and um you know there are common there are common factors you know kind of an understanding of early developmental trauma um, and, and how that kind of plays into yeah what's what emerges in neurodivergent brains at, at menopause as well I think all of those uh, yeah not thinking it's one sort of simple linear route I guess it's like I, I see I have a, an image of all these just overlapping circles um, and and taking that into account that feels like the most the most important thing but from a, a, a health professional's perspective, I think it's really helpful to understand the, the complexities of, of masking, that it's it's not just simply oh pretending to be more okay than you are, or you know, that's like an aspect of it, but but like there's so many sort of layers. Um and when like I sort of referred to earlier, when those layers start to break down, it's like a um, a breakdown of of identity. So I think from a, a health professional's perspective, there's a sense of just needing to be aware of the, the hugeness of of that, the, the the impactfulness of of what some somebody might be experiencing, um, and also the if you're if you're a health professional giving kind of particular i don't know um say for example diet and lifestyle advice and somebody is there with you saying yeah yeah i can yeah i'll do that i'll write all those things down and you know like really check that that's kind of within their um within their capacity and that there's not just a sort of um people pleasing I, I should be able to do all these things that this person is telling me to do so I'll say yes and then I'll go away and then I'll fail at them and then I'll feel like an even bigger um waste of space um like just that sense of really meeting somebody where where they're at which is where the kind of education piece around uh lived experience of uh ADHD um or autism um like what does that what does that mean and that it will be very different for um, for everyone so what is this person in front of me what's their particular 
challenges do they find it difficult to follow instructions is two sets of things to do enough um and and shouldn't go further so i think that's that's probably uh yeah education and understanding is is vital around behavior change I am so grateful to Francine, to Victoria, Leora and Abby for sharing their experiences. It was just so moving and it continues to be each time I listen and collectively, wow. If you think you may have ADHD, there's a self-test and symptom checker in the notes, along with many other useful resources that have been contributed by the participants. Don't forget to check out the sister episode on autism and perimenopause, which is coming up next week. Then there was a whole episode with Francine Ford, that is season two, episode 12. And Jess Glennie, author of Raveled Up, will be my guest soon too. And I'm looking forward to a longer conversation with Victoria that will come up in a while. And I hope that collectively this, this series on neurodiversity will help us all to understand each other better. My book, Second Spring, The Self-Care Guide to Menopause, is available from your favourite bookshop. And if you like the sound of using the seasons as a guide to life, even and especially if you don't have a menstrual cycle, you might enjoy the medicine circle process that I offer one-to-one and for groups. If that's something that interests you, then you can just pop over to my site where you can book a free session for 20 minutes and we can have a cup of tea together and see what would work for you. If you sign up to my emails, where you'll find a treasure trove of free stuff, there's yoga nidras, visual guides to the seasons, there are meditations and free workshops available for you to play with. It would be wonderful if you felt able to share the podcast with a friend, either on social media or in real life. And if you can rate it and leave a review, that would just be brilliant too. I would love to have these conversations more widely heard. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back in your ears very soon.